keep going. The way your life is here for you right now, not in some future state. I'm not, I'm saying those goals that I set out there, those things that I set out there, they're mostly just a light, a, 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 something at the end of a tunnel that keeps me moving forward because we are going to move forward anyway. And if we're not careful, you do what I did in the past year was just, it just happens willy nilly. And there's a beauty and a grace to that, but we have the ability to bring reason to, to bear. We have the ability to make plans and be loose with them, but make plans and execute towards a, a, some kind of objective. Because if we don't, the human species is just going to keep pushing you forward anyway. That's a quick soundbite from today's conversation between Michael and I. Welcome back to the Keep Going Podcast. And I'm Steve, one of your hosts. It's the nature of human endeavor to keep moving, to keep pressing forward. And what is it about the human condition that looks forward and plans? We've all nodded knowingly when someone quotes, man plans, God laughs. And yet, we're incorrigible planners. In this episode, Michael and I break down our 2023 experience of this crazy life, and we look forward to whatever 2024 might bring. Maybe you're already tired of our personal reflections, or in general are experiencing year-in-review fatigue. If so, maybe skip this one. But we hope you'll join us, if only to get a clearer understanding of the themes that this podcast is constantly mining for ways that we can steal the culture. So we're using the tried and true method of reflection to help us peer ahead and see what might be around the next corner. So join us for the episode we call Your Life is Here for You Right Now, a reflection. Happy New Year, y'all. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. I don't know if you heard on the first, uh, on the last episode, well, it won't be the last one that people get because we're going to have one in between, but there's uh, we sound like we're in a coffee house, man. Oh, because Lena's Because Lena was, was grinding <laughs> beans and running the... Yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. And then she walked up in the middle of it. I was going to try to find a way to piece her out, like like to cut her out of the conversation. So fuck that. Like, just throw it all in. And in fact, that episode is so funny because it takes us like a long time and then and then I, I say at one point, because I was I listened to all the way through at the beginning. I'm like, okay, where am I going to cut this? Where am I going to cut this? And there's a point in which in that episode I say, all right, are we ready to start? I'm going to start. I'm going to cut it here. And I was like, oh, no, no, we'll just let it go. And I'm like, I'm going to honor that. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to honor yeah. that. Like, that's the cool thing about these episodes being uh, conversations is there need not be this long introduction. And uh, yeah, I think she I think she secretly likes making a racket. For I everybody. do too. I think she wants her presence. Yeah. To be, you know? yeah. It's cool. It's awesome. Cause she is definitely. It's sometimes she'll, you don't see it, but sometimes she'll poke her head around the corner and just be like, kind yeah, of looking be, at me and be like, <laughs> I'm over here yeah. and I'm going to, I'm going to mess with you. Yeah. As we, uh, as we, you know, create this in your living room, it, it there she's everywhere anyway right because this is your house and your vibe is here just like if you came and recorded in my living room you would have um a little girl's like dolls and yeah, like yeah, like sure. lol dolls all over everywhere yeah. and you'd have my wife's books like stacked <laughs> up at a spot um the house would be super super clean even though i'm the messiest dude you'd be like how is this how is this where you live, Steve? Yeah. Well, let me show you into my study. My workspace is a wreck, but the rest of our house is clean because Kristen cannot take it. Anyway. Yeah, we we keep it we keep it well, Lena likes to keep it pretty tidy. My it's real definition tidy of tidy was get rid of everything and then but she likes kind of warming up yeah. the space and it's buying definitely, things and putting books and I'm like, whoa, this is like you know, then I started bringing things into the house and I'm like, Oh, I got to keep things tidy too. But I used yeah. to just have, I used to sleep. Yeah, she doesn't like it when I say this, but every, I don't know what guy didn't sleep on the floor, but I slept on a, on a mat on the floor. I had a really nice Eames chair. It's and Tommy style. I like had, yeah, <laughs> Japanese style. Yeah, floor. yeah. And then I had 
a literal workbench which was full of bike tools <laughs> and that was my entire apartment it's like wow this is this is a bit out of control and yeah. she came well in let's just like, say she makes like a serial killer she makes a space feel much more calming Cozy. and relaxed yeah. and yeah and it has her vibe but your vibe too it's yeah. it's super cool yeah for sure so michael what are we talking about today what are we gonna what are we gonna stat what are we gonna take a stab at year recap yeah, I think big that's changes a good idea. in this year. First full year, kind of past the COVID, um, everything. I think we've had. I think it's safe to say that that perhaps it was an attempt at a normal year for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and race schedules were on schedule, fully back. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, it's. I don't know if if I'm a. I'm not necessarily a New Year's resolution guy or anything like that. Um, but I'm also not the guy being like, resolutions are for quitters. I, I don't know. Like there's, there's lots of like debate around whether the resolution is like a thing these days, it seems. Yeah, I know. I think it's, uh, it, you it's know, cool it, part of, it was part of my upbringing. So I have a little bit of PTSD around goal setting and you know, I had to, I was forced to do it every year till I was mm-hmm. 18. So I kind of like lost that vibe. But I do think the thing that's most really interesting for me is the year in review. I like that's what reviewing I like. the year. And then that usually brings forward some kind of like critical, a critical assessment of lack that you might want to fill. Like your glass is not all the way full. So if it were optimal, what would you put, what else would you put in that glass to try to fill it? That's how it always feels to me. Um, or where are you headed and you deal yeah. like where you're going? Yeah. Pour the whole glass out, get a yeah. new one. I mean, there's also mm-hmm. that option too, but instead of being like, Oh, I've got these goals in this area, this area, and this area, I do, this is no denigration of that. If that works for you. Awesome. I just have serious problems with it because it just reminds me of my childhood in a way that's sure, not yeah, positive. Right. For sure. That doesn't mean I don't set goals, but it means more, it's more of a year in review. So that's what I thought we could do is just like kind of do a year in review and um, these are this is sort of a personal year in review, but it'll likely pull in um, aspects around running and running culture and things like that too. Uh, so I thought maybe we could just go through like seasonal, maybe like s- winter, spring, summer, fall. Since we didn't really, we I can't. seem to have. Um, is that how you think of it, or how how would you how would you? I don't know. There. I want to figure one thing out by the end of this. And oh shit! Yeah, I do. I got <laughs> something I need do, to figure man. out, and I need to figure out if I'm. Uh, the majority of my year was, you know, pretty pretty intense. We literally started off. I was invited to um, this organization called the YPO, and it's for like business folks, like young business folks. Well, young, like I think it's like below forty five or something like that. I don't really know. Really successful people and and they had a successful in business yes mm-hmm. and they there's a, a lot of levels of success right yeah for sure yeah <laughs> i would not be exactly invited. i would yeah. not be invited into that group but i yeah. guarantee you i'm a success yeah exactly <laughs> so they had it in costa rica at the four seasons and i was like whoa this is crazy and i was invited to be a, a like a speaker mm-hmm. and that just scared the ever-living shit out of me because i'm like you know, kind of at that point, not really feeling very confident about anything because work is ruling my life. Mm. And and from there, I think that was like, you know, January 20th or something like that. And then we come back for like a night pack and then do 14, 15, 16 days on the road back to back to back, like training REIs up the West Coast. Then I come back and then I do like, you know, probably five or 10 REIs in this region. So I spent like an entire month like traveling around and what's called tech repping or just talking about the brand to REIs because we were going to launch an REI in the first quarter of this year. And it was, it, you know, all that leading up to, um, a wedding on May 13th. And it was like, what, just happened so like the end of the first part of my year was me trying to juggle this death grip of work Mm. and stress and fear while also watching my wife plan this wedding in a 
jubilee fashion and half parts jubilee half parts fear and stress on her own right because admittingly i mean she basically planned the whole thing very few people probably put together a production like like she did and and um it was fascinating so we were both in this it was it was chaos it was like chaos and and the death grip that work had on me was was on a on a level that I just didn't know if I really even wanted to like continue to do the work. Yeah. And you, you know, and 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 then we proceed like through one of the hottest but really coolest summers I've had in a long time. Training got real good. Started focusing more on racing and base phase and everything like that and kind of really honing in on what I could control into the circle of influence which was my training I could not control the growth machine of the business like I don't and didn't know didn't and don't know how to grow the business it's not my strong suit and it took me a while to figure out that I wasn't necessarily a bad business you know leader anything like that it, and it wasn't you know, I'm not lacking the street smarts or whatever, and I could not figure it out. And so there was a little bit of turmoil still. Then we went on to this, um, then Lena, my wife, like convinced me to go on basically a second honeymoon to Japan. And I was like, I don't have time for that. And so we went and it was such a beautiful trip. And, you know, when, so the first part of the year was pure, chaos and and just in every single emotion was just insane like my anxiety was acting up every three days I was having a panic attack every three days and at least and it was they were not good panic attacks they were fucking terrible panic attacks anxiety was crazy and you know the fatigue was off the charts and and then Somewhere along the way through Japan and the podcast and, you know, just kind of maybe grieve, like understanding, I've come to terms with, so I'll back up just a second. The idea that I'm trying to figure something out, some people say that they work to live and other people say that they live to work. I think that there is a different flavor of the way that I approached the first half of the year and how I attached work to my being. And now I'm attaching my being to work. And I'm interested to know where I actually fall on that spectrum now because I have a very healthy relationship with not setting too high of standards in that regard. Um, I've also coinciding with the work stuff, like I've given up it took me a while to, to grieve some of the like endurance goals that I've had too and leading to kind of really getting kind of brutally honest about like what I want from my athletic life. And to me, it was all about joy. You know, the, I, I wanted to find that kind of beginner's mind and joy again and everything and not put so much pressure on myself in the future and, and, just kind of like work towards something, but kind of live in the moment. And then, you know, and when I said the podcast earlier, it was that we, we started talking about, we really, really started talking about running as a practice. I know mm -hmm. we try not to say that, but like to me, there was the running as a practice and the idea and really working towards understanding that, really taking a deep excavation in that, coinciding with the Japan trip, coinciding with walking into TRE like the baddest dude in the building that didn't belong there, knowing that that was okay, and, you know, kind of coming off of this year and just saying, like, you know what, I don't have to hold the weight anymore. Um, that was that was my year but i am genuinely curious after you kind of give me your kind of reflection on this obsession because i am obsessed with the business i'm always thinking about it i'm always but i'm wondering if it's because you know like live to work or work to live like what's the difference like is there a, i kind of do both and because i've discovered that it's not bad 
to be your work if your work is a reflection of, of your being of your being <clears throat> i would i would i would you agree see what i'm you. saying and 100%. sometimes you can't append to that the uh the imminent success that looms around the corner to bring you down and to give you weight sometimes you have to let it go and just kind of be blissfully unaware of what's going to happen and and I, I think the more that I attach myself to the endurance goals or the work goals, like the less happy I was and the more chaotic I was. And now I haven't had a panic attack in probably four months, three months, something, you know. Since you came back from Japan. Right. Easily sure. since I came back from Japan. and Probably October because I think we had conversations in October that were, that were uh, post, post – uh, after we finished recording, you would – we would i would sit here for another half hour and yeah, yeah and i would realize that how did you actually execute that 30 that hour long conversation in this right. space you <laughs> yeah because if i had had that level of stress actually gnawing at me would i have been able to and then i realized oh no well, this i was is operating in that stress yes. every day and probably and what i realized was probably for about two years mm -hmm. and and we started talking about the nervous system and we started talking about like, you know, just how stress plays out on race day and the ways our minds shut us down. I think the thing about the nervous system that was so helpful for me, that was so useful for me, was realizing that this idea of psychosomatic was not a bad thing. Like mm -hmm. the idea that something psychosomatic for my, I mean, I'm 54 years old for 53 years of my life. Psychosomatic meant you were a head case. Now, psychosomatic to me means there are aspects of your life that your body is regulating and working through, your nervous system is, and it will trigger many, many different things. And the only thing you can do is to be, try number one, have a good process for de-escalating mm -hmm. and calming the nervous system and then number two is having a good observer experience the ability to observe your experience not remove yourself completely you need to still be present because otherwise your nervous system is not really engaged you have to be this it's this weird observer mm -hmm. like it's your observer in a subjective state it's like not the observer from the objective state i remember this summer you and i in our podcast we either during it or after it I said something about life being like everything is subjective and mm -hmm. you, you were like, no, 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 no. Or, okay, I have to actually take this under advisement because this is not really the way I look at the world. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there's something objective that's happening on our planet. Like either 90% of what I'm dealing with is objective. And I would argue, no, 97 to 8% of what's going on in your life is subjective and it's mediated by the nervous system, but you're not always conscious of your subjectiveness. You, you, you try to keep objectiveness there. These, mm -hmm. that learning, um, revolutionized the way I work with my athletes, revolutionized the way I handled my own guilt complexes, my addictions, my fears, my worries. So many things got filtered through that. But I'd like to come back to this. Are we living to work or working to live? Because this was so present for you this year. And guys, those of you who are listening to us, like this is the, f this was 2023 year was really the first year of this podcast. Mm -hmm. We had our brother John with us through the first, first quarter, really almost the first half of the mm -hmm. year. And then we had to, then we went just to, as a, as a, as a two piece after that. Mm -hmm. But like, you've been on this journey with us, whether you recognize it or not. That's why I kind of thought this would be a cool thing to do because it's like, Hey, this is the keep going podcast in review too, but we're mm -hmm. going to review our lives with it. But I do think that's takeaway for other people is for people to kind of think through a little bit about what, what work is to them and how work plays with them is a nice reflection for 2024, a useful, a useful one going forward that allows you to say, where does that sit? Or if you don't want to take that out, like, am I running you know, am I, am I running to be or am I being to run? You know, it's like it can be you can move that not just to being, be a work related yeah, thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. but it can be a run. It can be a running related thing, too, because of for most of our listeners, how present running is in their day to day life. In fact, some people, a lot of people I work with running is far more important to them 
than their workspace is because they're not entrepreneurs. They they work jobs that have bosses who tell them what to do and that some level of distancing is required. Whereas you and I work in a very unique environment of really entrepreneurship, self-ownership, you know, that these these pieces are they 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 give a different we're we're free to be thinking about our work as life and life as work because of the kind of work we have. Not everybody can do that. Yeah, agreed. And and that to me is I think it directly coincides with with something like my wife's always saying, you know, you have everything you need right now. Just live today. It's kind of a perfect day. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Why am I always I started the first part of the year always thinking about tomorrow. And you know, now I'm like there's something the second part what I want to take with me into the next year is letting go is not giving up no and what I mean by that specifically is it felt like letting go was giving up you know in the in in earlier this year you know, amidst like all of the kind of mental turmoil and was constantly thinking about six months and two years and whatever down the road and to let that go and to just kind of like ground it, it, I had to learn, I had to physically realize like over and over and over, it took like many, many days, like where that was the intention of the day to be like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be fine. You know, like, and then I'm going to have to deal with tomorrow then. But every time I just was like, just let go of tomorrow. Just, but there was something when she said that, it was like the equivalent of me saying, I'm not going to go for a sub 10 Ironman. I let go of the pressure of a sub 10 Ironman. That's a hell of a time for anybody who's ever done that. I mean, it's just, it's like kind of, it's kind of like the sub three Mm -hmm. maybe in running, but like it's, it's, it's hard. Like, I don't know. I I can never really come up with the cocktail. Well, some people can go sub three pretty easily. So it's probably, because it's probably not an equivalent. Sub nine would be the equivalent of like, you got to swim around an hour. That's like a, that's a cruising time. Or Mm -hmm. you got to be like really strong on the bike and then put together some type of like sub three and a half hour marathon. It's like, it's like, this is no joke. Yeah. And it is grinding. And and it's like all of my times, the way I skin it, like always came up at 10 and a half. I'm like, you know what? But the idea of the sub 10 Ironman was killing me because nothing I was doing was indicating that that was in the wheelhouse. So it was affecting everything. It was affecting my mood because I'd be pissed off that I wasn't stronger or pissed off that I wasn't faster or pissed off, you know, whatever. Maybe my schedule, I can't put more time into it because I got to do this other shit, like be there for my family or be there for work. Like I just wish, you know, I could just train two sessions a day for four hours a piece. Mm-hmm. Like then I could get it right. Mm-hmm. You know, all the stressors like surrounding that. And I'm like, wait, 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 y- you know, it doesn't mean if I give, if I let go of the pressure of that, if I let go of the pressure of qualifying for Boston or whatever, whatever it is for anybody, then there's this idea that it, it used to feel, like I said, it used to feel like giving up, but it doesn't. It just means that you're focusing and grounding on the things in your circle of influence, not outside the circle of influence that permeates things like the nervous system, that permeates things like your attitude or your motivations and shit like that. So to me, there's like, okay, I've experienced what it's like to let go. I don't know what the benefits are going into 2024 like my only motivation is just to make sure that I keep practicing letting go of the things that I can't control, but still executing on the things within mm. the the circle of influence. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. That's cool. When you think 
going in because you haven't coming up in 2024 is a command performance Ironman. Oh, it's going to be. So thinking forward through that, you know, coming through this year and thinking through going forward to that, do you still keep, I always find this super intriguing as a coach. Like, Mm -hmm. do you still keep a sub 10 hour Ironman in play in some way, shape or form or or using it as a model or do you leave it all to leave it alone altogether and just allow utter allowance to let the day bring what the day brings? I, at this point, what I've realized is something that I wasn't expecting, which is my heart is not necessarily in triathlon. Mm. That's the hot take is you're training your ass off. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is something that I'm going to need to put in the rear view because I'd prefer to spend my time running mm. and going to the Saturday runs and resting on Sunday and, drinking coffee and having my you know weekend and doing the things like I I really don't think I want to get on a bike anymore I rode a hundred miles on the trainer last weekend you know and then I went out and ran 13 or 14 miles on Sunday after and I'm just like I'll be looking at 12 13 14 weeks very similar to that starting in January Mm -hmm. and something I realized was it was the pressure of the goal that kept me doing that. And you often say like, what is the race demand? Mm -hmm. Well, a sub 10 demands that, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't make me fulfilled. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause running, running 10 to 12 hours is like, it's a substantial load for runners, 10 to 12 hours. Oh man, I'm doing, I'm doing 20 hours of work. So when you think about that, if you could do 10 to 12 hours and probably, and, and you have, you know, listeners, you, if you don't know, Michael, haven't met him. Like he's not built as a triathlete. He's built as a runner. Yeah. (laughs) Like you're, you're a classic runner build. So it's, I think that, you know, I think it's going to be wonderful. But what I want to also highlight is, you don't fucking quit like that knowledge to me. If I had that in that insight for, for me, I wouldn't do the iron. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a yeah. cool factor. No, for well, you that's why like, I'm like, look, the, the way that I'm looking at it now is not about sub 10. It's about, you started this journey probably four or five months ago doing a base phase. I did yeah, my benchmark race. I took a few weeks to kind of reset. I'm back at aerobic capacity now. I've hit all my goals before the new year. I was like, get up to six hours or a hundred miles at an aerobic pace before the year, build the volume, get up to your, I've done it. So I'm like, all right, let's just go, let's go burn rubber to the best of our ability and just see what happens on a absolutely perfect day. You know, I really don't even know what I'm capable of. But that's the cool thing about it is when I say that I'm not giving giving up per se, it's that my heart in triathlon is not into the goal of triathlon. It will not be my last triathlon race. It will just be that I will probably enjoy the sport in a way that I won't put as much pressure on it. But you can easily do... Olympic and half iron distances with relative ease, right? And oh, so yeah. you can I always mean, do that. Technically, because the Ironman is like running, uh, the Ironman's not like running a marathon. The Ironman's like running a hundred miler. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's, they're, they're more similar because they take that amount of time and they beat you up the same way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And you can't escape any aspect of it. In the marathon, you just, if you're not ready, you just get to 30K and then you suffer really bad at the end, mm-hmm. right? But in the Ironman or a 100 miler, like, no, this, the level of suffering is, uh, you will be asked to quit. Your body, your whole body will tell you to quit so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a part of my life. But then, like, man, I could really just see running and focusing on it and, honing in and and being a part of if you bring the same approach that you've brought to triathlon this cycle of triathlon training to your running the level you will improve at some level okay i can because because if you do it the way that you're doing it right now you'll stay healthy Mm -hmm. so staying healthy pretty much the biggest part of the game so you'll stay healthy 
And then you'll have these aspects that you're trying to work on. Because I see you, I hear, I'm never at the pool with you, but I mm-hmm. hear about your pool experience and you're learning so much from that experience, the kind of efforts, the different efforts, how they are, the level of fatigue and exhaustion, the kind of work that can be done in a pool if you're with a group that knows what they're doing. You have a coach who has a really good plan Mm -hmm. and you're with a whole bunch of other fools who follow that plan. Mm -hmm. Like we all come back to Telos having done, you know, Whitney's um, master's program with a deep respect for what I'm doing because you will recognize Oh, all these other fools are doing the same fucking ridiculous shit because they really want to see how good they can be. But instead of bringing the kind of my the kind of a little bit of neurosis that sort of sits in a lot of runners experiences, they're so stemmy. They're so it's got to be data oriented and all locked and lined and locked up. You'll be able to come into it with a fluid, flexible, relaxed by feel kind of mode. But you will also have a deeper appreciation for fucking hard work. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and and I then think- and then your experience of running, so f- and then the, the 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 and then the recognition of zone two, the clear results you've gotten from easy rides and easy running, mm-hmm. are showing you that hey, the lion's share of your work should be in some level of zone two zone. You know, zone. You don't have to be low zone two with running because running is really hard to stay low zone two, but like mid zone two into lower three. If you stay there for extended periods of time, you can really, really get a really amazing engine. So, hundred percent. I'm excited for you to come back to running at that point in whatever. I think area. it'll be great. I, you know, I, I think usually races choose me, and I don't know why I'm thinking about it, but I think I want to go. I think I want to go run CIM again next year. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it is, but I we've I got a big fr- we've got a big crew going to New York City, man. That that if if everybody gets in, that thinks they're going to get in. Mm-hmm. That's another, I don't know if you've ever run that one. I haven't, and I can't because you got to get qualified, but, and it's hard to, a little bit harder to get in. But yeah, it's, that race is just like Boston. It's like, got Well, that's what I want to start doing is like, I think Chicago is going to get harder to get into. CIM has pressure goals. Yeah. I'm telling you, CIM, I, I, the, the, the race directorship is fantastic at CIM. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is really, really well done. But I'm not convinced that's a healthy place for people to go execute. Because it's so hard to get right. And it doesn't have mm. the Boston vibe. And so you don't have, if you get broken at CIM, it doesn't have the level, the, the, the 125, 130-year history mm-hmm. of other broken souls along the course. It's the time, though. December 1st it's or 2nd is It's perfect. perfect. Yeah, you, know, you go through Thanksgiving, yeah. but you're on taper, and then, you, yeah. and then you're out during the Christmas time. Um, as opposed once to you Houston, get into the major is, system, you're like, oh, those are perfect, too. Yeah, I mean, you got to qualify for them. Yeah. So if you want to get in New York and you're like me, it's like, well, I think I'm going to have to go at least run a 252 or something mm-hmm. like that. And we should probably go after something more aggressive than that just to make sure that because these things are going to get more popular. Like oh, yeah. these like race entries are just going to start. They're getting, making big money now. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's they're gonna a be real big revenue. money and very, very difficult to get into these races. This, you know, the, Lifetime fitness's purchase and, you know, I guess Ironman's setting the model, yeah, right? Yeah. And then Lifetime's- I think that's another tr- reason, attempt, honestly. I'm, attempt mm-hmm. to, the, and Lifetime's attempt to do the same thing to the ultra world, but they're failing because ultra runners, they're pulling in the triathletes and the runners who are marathoners, but they're not really the runners who are real ultra runners have done Leadville and then they'll leave it alone. They're, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's not, then it hasn't turned out to be lifetime being able to make five Leadvilles a year that everybody gets fired up about. They've got their own little thing, but it's like, yeah, it's not the same thing. And, and the vibe when you're there, if you've ever been in the summer in Leadville, like you walk into those two spaces and they feel like you're in LA or on Madison Avenue or something like that. It just doesn't feel quite right. And you're on that stretch of Leadville, like down those, like you've got old timey saloons mm-hmm. and some new stuff. And then the mount 
10,000 foot mountains are like looming over you. You know, you're at 10,000 feet. And then the 14, 14ers, like seven 14ers right there. Anyway. Yeah, it's It's just got this, it's just a weird vibe. Like how's this coexisting in this space? Probably you similarly know, the, to what it did for people who were in Kona and how well Iron that's Man what i'm saying is, so much. is i love the competition and kona is getting it just gets pushed so much further away and further yeah. away and like that goal will be there if it's there when i'm yeah, maybe i'll continue to to keep a capacity or and everything like that but i'm just not i don't really care about when it's going to happen you know what's interesting is i don't think that i'm i'm going to race that race one day yeah, no problem. Sure. You are, but it's like when I might do it as a as a fifty year old man. Who knows? But that that's the thing is like there seems to be competition in the marathon series right now, the majors that are within within reason, but very you're gonna have to work for it. Yeah, you just it, it is not gonna be easy, but it. So to me, there is an appealing aspect to that. So th that that sense of competition seems to be still alive in marathon distance mm -hmm. as opposed to Ironman is just all over the place. And it's just such a corporate regime of like nonsense and lotteries and this and that. And you, you don't even really know. It's like every race is there's no standard and you don't know how many coins they're going to give out. Like, what is this a board game? Like, it's like, what's going <laughs> yeah. on here, you yeah. know, and the politics of it are just odd. And, you know, it's, there's, there seems to be something really elegant still about the competitive nature of age group racing and marathon and qualifying in marathon. So I, anyway, I, I get real, I get real excited about it. So nothing, nothing too, nothing too insane, but I am looking forward to, I miss running with the group, you know. I I love my run club, but I also miss working out with the group. Yeah, yeah, and you've got and because of your um your connections with the various groups in town, you've got lots of options too. Yeah, for sure, know? and that'd be cool too for you. Well, I need to my do. Telos Tuesdays, man. That's what well, I that's want the, the most. That's the that's a that's a good day to me. That's I'm gonna trade. Um, come January, I'm gonna trade. Uh, stroke swimming stroke day on Tuesday for Telos workouts, and I'm like, finally, I get to do speed. Yeah, it's it took me a while to get to this phase, but I always knew starting in January, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come hammer out. Yeah, we got some new ones. We got some old classics, so nice. it'd be fun. Good, yeah. good. Well, tell me about your year. We've talked enough about mine. So my year kind of is a little bit. I'm not, we may have to work a little bit to bring it into, into running context, but I'll probably figure out a way to do it. So my 2022 was the worst, was potentially the second or third worst year of my life. Wow. In terms of stress, I, I don't, I, I moved from central Texas, a rural area mm -hmm. where I had a pretty sweet spread. Um, so close to my local trails, had a 350 year old live oak in my front yard that we'd named tree leaf and, it just felt like the place I was going to, like the place in Texas I was going to die, mm -hmm. you know. But our daughter needed to get into the Austin school system um, because we just felt like it was the right place for her with community and such. We weren't, the place I lived in, rural Hayes County, didn't have the, we didn't know. Yeah, this. they're great. They're just great here. Yeah. And so we, and and because they, Max had gone to preschool in, at, at, uh, at this school uh, in that area, she developed friends, and then that year, twenty twenty two, spring, fall twenty twenty, yeah. Anyway, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, Kristen had been driving from where we were at in Hayes yeah, County all the way into and, Austin, yeah. and then all the way back at the worst times. Mm -hmm. And I was doing the same drive, but only three days a week, and at the best times. So she finally said to me, um, in January of 2022 like we need to rent an apartment in Austin or we need to get out of here um we have to figure it out and at that time Austin was crazy expensive to move into didn't know how we were going to figure it out so I spent all 2022 trying to figure out how to get to get out I got us out of Hayes County um the summer was like moving and that was hugely stressful and then adapting and sort of in a lot of ways like dying 
and not being in a place I felt was as vibrant a, a home situation. And I'm a homebody. I work from home and I live in a home and I just didn't, things just weren't right and didn't feel right. So 2022 was real rough on me. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the winter, so say January, February, because of this podcast, really being with you and John consistently, getting back in a communication with the rest of the world through the World Wide Web, feeling connected, really brought me out of that funk. Um, and I felt like, that transition was what the spring was for me. It was like renewal and getting back to it, finding my, I'm a big nature person. And I think that I'd had this idea because I was around nature all the time. I was just kind of like nature is separate from me in a weird way. Mm -hmm. But when I moved up here, I hadn't realized, Oh God, because I live in a city now and I'm not in a, my house is not as connected to the woods as it was before. I'm in a neighborhood, right. That I had to find where nature was in me. Mm Mm-hmm. And then extend that out through the asphalt pathways, the, you know, all the things I had to make, make, I had to reconnect to being a city boy. And man, that was, that transition has been glorious. And really? You've- difficult and challenging, mm-hmm. but glorious. And I found a trail system that I thought was the armpit of the world, the worst trail system ever. Um, there's, yeah, it's dirty and dogs poop all over it and all these other things. It's tightly constrained. It's got this Walnut Creek runs through it and it's kind of gross and brings in the detritus and trash from all over other places. And I fell in love with those trails. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with those trails. In, now that's, is that the trail system that connects the uh, Walnut? Um, you know, the one that runs along like kind of I-35? Yeah. So south that, to north. And then it gets up it gets up to around one eighty th- at one eighty three and I thirty five. Yeah, that's it, the bike path. But then in some so somewhere between thirty five and Mopac, there's a small that's not it's pretty actually pretty good sized park. It's like but a there's a park right there. Like and a network it's, it's called it, right? a warren of trails. We named when I put on a race there, the Rogue Trail Series still does it, it's called the maze because when we did it, it was like you're just mazing all the way through mm-hmm. there. And I I've already known those trails because I created a whole race course on it independent i mean i myself and joe Prasadis, the other the 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 trail god of austin of central texas Mm -hmm. he and i created that course and um but i always just thought that trail was just like trash it was like a trash trash trail um it was just local in austin so everybody could do it but i fell in love with it i fell in love with the spirits there the trees the energy the vibe the creek the the river the little the little creek that runs through there was really cool so that was my spring was kind of like transitioning in that way and then my summer really was uh was all about so my life got rocked in 2023 by a book Mm. and it's a book that um when i mention it to people you'll probably think i'm crazy in a loon i am not Um, oh is it the one i'm not quite a psychonaut i'm not a total total psychonaut but i am a is this the one on lsd yeah the book is called lsd in the mind of the universe by christopher beish i have now read this book three times and i've listened to the audiobook three times um, because I have, and so I'll call this little phase summer was reality. Like I am obsessed with ontology, philosophy, like ontology, epistemology. How do we, what is being, how do we know? And then what do we, and then ethically, how do we live out from that space? And I have all my life been looking for a model that I could believe in, like a model that I could say, this makes sense to me. Grew up in a Christian faith. It didn't work for me at, a, at, at, at both intellectual levels, but really at deep ontological levels. It just didn't feel, I just couldn't conceive of what the Christian, what the Christian model of God is. Certainly not the model of it that I lived in because this has been a lifelong pursuit of mine is what is real and what is God? Like, what are these things? I know most listeners are probably, well, you're fucking crazy. Yeah, I am. And I've been thinking about this for a very mm-hmm. long time, but this summer I found this book and this book um, so resonated with me. And I've, I've tried Buddhist path. I've tried a, a, a Western esoteric slash magical paths. I've God, tried yeah. a secular atheist path. I've tried that path. Cobbling, creating my own religion path of mm-hmm. trying to cobble things together. And this book is not a path, okay? This book's path is basically saying LSD is a path. And I have only taken LSD a few times. And the times I've taken LSD have been party times, right? They have, they have been in a, not a ceremonial space, right? 
And I am, this book has intrigued me to consider it, but I'm also, by reading this book, I'm also scared fucking senseless. But the, this book is crazy because this guy who was a religious studies professor, he still is, he's an emeritus professor, who had a wife and kids Every uh, by every stretch of the imagination, if you see him, you look at him, he looks like a normal average Joe. He was influenced by the psychotherapist Stanislav Grof, who's a humanist psychotherapist, who was using LSD as a therapy in the 60s when he was in Czechoslovakia. And then, you know, in the 70s, they shut that shit down because of the drug war, so nobody could use it. But he was able to find access of some of this, some of this in, mid, in the mid to late 70s, being influenced by Steph, Stephen, by... um. Stanislav Grof's work, and he started taking LSD at really high doses with his wife, who was a psychotherapist um, as a sitter, who never did, and he basically explored over, I think, something like 72 trips over a 20-year period reality through the lens of psychedelic trips. All of that you can decide what to do with. Okay, I'm not committed to any of that stuff what I can tell you is this guy is one of the most courageous human beings and this was the most eye-opening book I ever read because of the courage and sobriety that he brought to this process and what he brought back and what he brings back is nothing short of completely and utterly um, it utterly destroys the concepts that we have of what reality is I'll leave it there for people Whoa. for people who want to go there. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Again, it's a sober book, incredibly well written, and it will suck you in immediately and it will drag you through. And the audiobook is read by Christopher Beish and it is as good as the book itself, maybe even better. But I read the book first, then I listened to the audiobook, tried to make Kristen listen to it. She What part what part of the how much collateral does the LSD part hold or was that just a vehicle? It was to... just a vehicle and he makes it really, really clear. And he, he does say that if he did it all over again, he was taking way too big, a, way too high of doses. But he was a, he was a, a, a pioneer, dude, beyond yeah. a pioneer. Like at a time when it was illegal and the time that he was, he, he got that tenured professorship, but he never told anybody what he was doing. He was doing these in the privacy. He never told a soul for 25 years. He didn't even want to do anything with it, but his guides and the spirits that, the, the, the experience he had, right? The experience he had basically imprinted upon him his requirement to share this. And to me, it is a it is a scary world. It's a scary space, but it feels to me so dead on with my experience. Um, and immediately when I first started the book, I'm like, and it's not, a, I like, this is real. He's describing reality as it is in my opinion. And and there's no path here, right? This is the beauty of it to me. Now, there's no so like- So just to be totally clear, LSD, is it or is it not required to understand reality in the fashion that he can convey? He made it clear to me that I could have a intellectual reasoned and maybe even slightly experiential understanding of the spaces and places that he got to there and that and that but that he was an ex would you like to use the word based on Bob Dylan an expeditionary mm -hmm. who while most of us are trying to figure out how to get out of the city he was out beyond our solar system that's mm -hmm. how far out he was and so how are we ever going to know what that reality is? The only way, the only path is through a psychedelic, I think. And maybe a contemplative like path, but it would require three-year, four-year um, retreats. It would, it would require, what LSD did was, was make it faster. But I will tell you this, when you read this book, what you will realize, the amount of suffering. So what is required? One of the models of this reality is that in order to be shown the things that you need to be shown, you have to have purified yourself to get that. And what acid does to purify you is show you and you live through the hell realms over and over and over. And his description of the hell realms, no one, you would need to be very intrepid. Um, I'm not intrigued by this as a necessary path for me 
But what he's done is come back and told me a story that's the first story that I can use to make sense of my world and the fears I have around collapse, the fears I have around uh, I have around the the potential ex- extermination of the human species. Um, yeah, he he goes into what a future future human he 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 brings back information. Of course, is he and he this again? This guy is so sober, so sober. He's like, listen, I know you're gonna think I'm crazy. I think I'm crazy, but this is what I heard and. I just got to share it. So anyway, I'll leave that there because mm. that book made my 2023 and coming out of that transition of trying to kind of be groping and feeling out where I was at and re- becoming more nature. Spinoza says nature, naturana naturans, which is like you are nature being nature. It's like really a cool concept. It was really epic. Um, and then my, uh, and then my, you know, that was, that was uh, sort of my, my summer and then um, my fall has been uh, was my father's passing, mm. and his passing, and the work that I've been required to do to go through that process. You know, my wife said to my sister-in-law, because my brother and I have not, we our our grieving process has been um, a little different than most people's because of my dad's passing, and then the. The, the ceremonies and rites that go around that were really unique, were, are, are non-existent for us. We didn't really do anything. He didn't, he wanted to be cremated and then he was like, take us somewhere. We still haven't done that because of a variety of reasons. But they think that we haven't really processed my dad's passing, mm-hmm. right? But I had such a good, like an incredible experience with him. I've shared this on a podcast, one of these episodes. I just had such an incredible experience of his passing. Bell lap. It was so amazing and so beautiful. And I miss my dad so much. Mm-hmm. I miss him so, so much. Because he's the only guy I could, I tried to get him to read that LSD book before <laughs> yeah. he passed. Like he's the only dude I could talk about that with. Like yeah. no one else in my world I can talk about that with. I mean, nobody. Like, but he was the only guy that I could do it with, right? And and he would have been even more sober and he would have been like, well, come on, we're all worm food. This is, this is all the factor of brain chemistry. And I mean, and I totally leave that open. It's possible there, but that, but the recognition that a death, um, the first major death in my life, um, to be introduced in the way that I was, was such a gift. I, I can't, I, I can never be, I'm just so thankful for, mm. so, so thankful for and so that launches me into 2024 in a mindset of saying, I think it's the year for me to take care of myself, of my physical health. Because I went through a period when I left Rogue and I left my partner for 16 years and got together with Kristen. I really changed my life. I stopped drinking and I got really fit and I got in really good shape. And I did all those things, but I was kind of doing them out of ego slash anger slash trying to make a stand kind mm-hmm. of place. And I'm feeling, and then since then, since, you know, Nothing the stress of, fucked. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the stress of 2022 yeah. put me in a place where I just really kind of slipped back to drinking a little bit too much, using that as a, as a, as a medicator to get away from um, having to think too much about stuff. And, uh, and 2023 never turned into spilled in anything terrible, but much more aligned, like, well, what do you really want? And if this vision that I've seen, this vision that I was shared by this book is really real, then how do I live into that? And the first way you live into it is you got to purify your body. You got to get, and your mind. And you need to get what I like to call present and correct. In order to, in order to, to do a command performance on a race day, you have to have your fucking shit dialed in tight. Because as you say, yeah, you can't, you, you got to give it up, but you still have to bring something, an intention that's true and real. And you need to be able to sell it or your nervous system is going to th- shut you the fuck down. It's going to throw you curveballs and make you drop out and it will, it will not allow you. So now I'm like, I want to get old with my girls healthy and strong. I want to start creating that now so I can feel a body that's like really healthy and feeling good. And like to get back to like 10 hours a day or run, 10 hours a week of running with no races. And I'd like to get a Boston qualifier at some point. Like I mean, I've qualified for Boston, but I'd like to go and actually run that damn race at some point in time. 
And I keep finding excuses not to. So I'm not making any of those particular goals there of saying I'm going to go do all that stuff, the 10 hours or the BQ or any of that stuff. But more like use 2024 as a year to say, hey, like what does it mean for you to be healthy, happy, and strong? Because if you're preaching that to your crew, to the people you work with, that's my mantra, healthy, happy, strong. If that's true, because I am A lot happy. of people are strong. I am happy <laughs> and my heart is strong, Yeah, but I'm not healthy like I need to be. And that, that impacts deeply the kind of happiness I have because it's my happiness is really hung, hanging its hat on other people. My happiness is dependent on my wife and my family and my conversations with you. It really is. Now, out on the trail, it's a little different, but a lot of times I'm out on the trail for my dogs and I'm getting the benefit, but not really being fully present and correct in that moment. And I know that if I got a pair of shoes on, I got a pair of trail shoes on and I'm wearing shorts and I'm not wearing my chinos and my mm -hmm. walk and my, my blundies that I'm going to run. Then I'm going to deep, I'm not going to listen to music and I'm going to deeply or podcast and I'm going to deeply engage with a land and whatever shows up for me. So oh, that's, yeah. So it's like 2023 was, was such a, so 2022 was so we both, hell. We 2023 both was like the a vision. visceral kind of like, you know, a break. Yeah. We both had a break. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't the first time I've had that happen. It's like, what are we saying? At one point in time, we talked about the hero's journey and how it always just it arcs and then it ends and everybody's happy. But the fool's journey, the fool's journey is bad to spiral. the bone. spiral yeah. because it's all going to come back and we're going to have the opportunity to break again yeah. and again and again at a different level of consciousness, exactly. at a different level exactly. of experience of life. Yes. And that's that to me is is kind of like if you know it's going to come back around i think that has a lot to do with the letting go part letting go of the fact that there is an end to the at the end of that sub 10 all of a sudden the the flowers bloom and you know life is done like i'm done here like see you later i got a sub 10 iron man who la-di-da who freaking cares like you know at the end of it because there will be there will be something on the back end of that that needs to come back around and that's i think that's part of of the of the letting go of placing so much on the end of the hero's journey you let go of that end and then you start to play the fool's journey and it's like a wheel on a really badass car and it just keeps going. And there's seasons. It, and yeah. you can lock into the seasons. <laughs> because you're talking about running your your goal of running Boston is such a quality, quality goal. I mean, I'm still thinking this crazy idea of, of the Pacific Crest Trail. Like why not? Yeah, for sure. Why not? <clears throat> not I'm not saying I'm gonna do it. And if I pass without doing it, that'll be okay. But what like, if the opportunity were to come and it's a thing, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, yeah. You just got to be and, open and, to it. And the, the when it's going to come to be available will be when Max is graduated from high school, likely, because I don't know how I'm going to get away in, in a real way for the time and time that it takes, because I want to be there for her life. Yeah. I don't want to be off doing my thing, right? Mm -hmm. I'd rather be there with her. Now, if she, you know, you know, and teenagers, they fucking reject you all the way around. So you may, but there's that one opportunity. To you never know. Away. Yeah. You never know. For but anyway, good. the, uh, the idea there maybe I'll likely be right. 65 years old. So that's gonna require a big ask to cover that ground at that age, right? And that means I gotta get my shit together. Because I'm gonna need that many years to be able to figure out what it is to be in this body appropriately. Like this is the thing I want people to take away from this episode. Like this year is there, the past year for you, in whatever way it worked, whether yours was um, the sort of unfolding petals of a 
of a lotus flower like it was for me or the sort of the Venus flytrap that it was for Michael, right? Like this, this living source that's chomped you a few times, but you came out of it like awake and alive and like ready for what's next or whatever it may go. Like, and maybe I'm not accurately describing that, but whatever version of that life that somebody had, that, that, that recognition of just a path, the way your life is here for you right now not in some future state. I'm not, I'm saying those goals that I set out there, those things that I set out there, they're mostly just a light, a, 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 something at the end of a tunnel that keeps me moving forward because we are gonna move forward anyway. And if we're not careful, you do what I did in the past year was just, it just happens willy nilly. And there's a beauty and a grace to that, but we have the ability to bring reason to, to bear. We have the ability to make plans and be loose with them but make plans and execute towards a, a, some kind of objective. Because if we don't, the human species is just going to keep pushing you forward anyway. And you're going to have to, like we've said multiple times on this episode, I'm not on, on, on in this podcast, uncertainty is definitely baked into the model. <laughs> uncertainty is always there. Chaos is always a part of it. When you choose to believe that, that certainty is available that's when everything is completely screwed up for yes. me. Oh, it becomes, that, it to me, that was the becomes, first part of the year was trying to define certainty. Has to be, it becomes a requirement for your happiness. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then, But embracing uncertainty doesn't necessarily mean not having a goal. That, to me, is the biggest, the biggest takeaway. I'm like, oh, wait, it feels good to set huge goals. Like, it feels good... I remember setting the goal before I even ran my first marathon. I'm going to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and I'm going to qualify for Kona before I'm 35. I'm going to be 37 this year, and, you know, I'm going to have to recalibrate. I've already recalibrated the goals. Like, it's just fascinating to but me. those that, goals, like, I, I want to make sure people hear us because I think sometimes people hear me and they get it dis they get it confused, okay? They think I'm saying or we're saying not to have goals not to have big, hairy, audacious goals. No, listen to me, have the goals. Detach the time frame that that goal needs to get accomplished within and you will live your best life. That's your best the running life, That's the your whole... best running life and your best life in general. Because if you bring that concept to your, we say running is a path with heart. So if you can have big goals, high, like, dreams that you would love to life you'd love to leave move into okay no and human can, is possible Elliot Kipchoge without the timeline all the <laughs> all the opportunity in the world and none of the expectation no human is limited that's what it was no human is limited yeah in, anyway in, I, I I think that this is the this is my takeaway from 2023 is that I finally found a model that allows me to truly believe in this and to truly believe that um, I'm utterly and completely, my personal self is utterly and completely unimportant, but my journey, my presence, my soul, my soul print on the 75, 80, 100 years I get on this planet is, is crucial to the success of the planet, but it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> That, that's another mind fuck right there. But that's how I look at it. I look at it, let's use, I think we got the title for this this week's episode, The Fool's Journey. Yeah. A review of 2024. Because it is a journey of fools. Like we are fools, but we need to lean into our foolishness and our, because there is no point. The point is purely and simply to be playing the game. And that makes you a fool in the most beautiful and amazing way. And it is an infinite game, not a finite game. In my view, it's an infinite game. And if it's not an infinite game and I'm wrong, you'll be dead and no one will fucking know it. So it doesn't make any sense not to act that way. So it's like some potentiality then creates distress, despair, nihilism, greed, a lack of connection to the planet, and many of the ills that we see in the human species because we're stuck with this worldview that says, yeah, we're just worm food when it all ends. And maybe we are. But the Native Americans thought we were worm food too. And they took really good care. They were deeply connected in their space. Mm -hmm. They were, they had a culture that's very different from ours. But their culture 
definitely was deeply and was way healthier a culture, even with the excesses and challenges and difficulties around it, was way healthier culture than what we have right now. Because what we have right now is a definite devolving of the human capacities. It's because we're simulating goals. So because we have expectations now, like we have expectations and we're trying to be heroes. We're trying like, to build community through non-communal spaces. It's the weirdest thing. Because we're because we need meaning. Because mm-hmm. we're so fucked up. Mm-hmm. This is why we say steal the culture. Yeah, but anyway, that was a fun one, guys. We hope you enjoyed this. This will come out first week of January. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this was a damn fine episode. Good. I really liked it. Good. I'm glad we 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 spitballed this one. I brought this to Michael this morning. <laughs> literally, well, I've been I in a weird headspace. I've been looking up. I, I've literally caught myself on my runs looking up and and thinking, I wonder what resolution I'm I'm seeing in right now. And then I because you know, sitting like what is it? And then I'm like, and follow me here. The, what we see, like a like a star from the sun, is like. It's like light years away from yeah. these, some of these stars. And I'm like, wait a second. What is the resolution of that shit? And then I was like, well, how is it? How is there no resolution? And then I was like, wait, but on an atomic level, there are atoms. So there is a tiny little resolution in there. What it, like, what's going on? And then I started seeing it all as like a big screen that's got this thing. And I'm like, oh shit. So like this conversation is actually really, really grounded in terms of like the, where, where my mind has been on my runs. And I'm like, man, I've gotten pretty, pretty out there lately. But uh, the resolution of resolutions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, there's a little nugget of weirdness to end on because we actually kept it tidy today. Pretty much. I think so. <laughs> Thanks, y'all, for listening. We appreciate you. Godspeed. Godspeed.